And this isn't some type of snake oil. This isn't a miracle that's going to fix your organization because I'm never saying that I'm perfect. It's time for Arrested DevOps, the podcast that helps you achieve understanding, develop good practices, and operate your team and organization for maximum DevOps awesomeness. I'm Matt Stratton. Really excited about today's topic and an awesome, awesome new guest. But before we jump into that, let's hear a word from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by CircleCI. Designed for modern software teams, CircleCI's continuous integration and delivery platform helps developers push code with confidence. Trusted by thousands of companies, from four-person startups to Fortune 500 businesses, CircleCI helps teams take their software from idea to delivery quickly, safely, and at scale. Visit ArrestedDevOps.com slash CircleCI to learn why high-performing DevOps teams use CircleCI to automate and accelerate their CI-CD pipelines. If you are like most of your friends in DevOps, you probably prefer using open-source solutions for observability. But you also wish you didn't have to sacrifice scalability, performance, and simplicity. With Logs.io, you get the best of both worlds for your cloud environment. You can use the tools you love at the scale you need. Logs.io is a fully managed service that offers complete cloud observability for engineers on one unified platform. Log management and cloud sim based on Elk and infrastructure monitoring based on Grafana. To give it a try for yourself, sign up for a free 14-day trial today at logs.io slash ADO and for your chance to win a free Logs.io t-shirt. The worst thing about the Arrested DevOps podcast is when it ends. You're left wondering what to do next. What are you going to listen to on your commute home? How do you occupy your time when walking the dog? What are you going to listen to during the quarterly all-hands meeting? But fear not, dear listener, there is a solution. You need to subscribe to Software Defined Talk right now. It's a weekly podcast that recaps all the news in cloud computing, DevOps, and enterprise software. The hosts, Kote, Matt Ray, and Brandon Wichard, will keep you up to date on all things cloud while offering tips on how to optimize your Costco haul and how to PowerPoint. It's a fun, free-flowing conversation that will keep you entertained and informed. What are you waiting for? Subscribe to the podcast today by visiting softwaredefinedtalk.com or by searching for Software Defined Talk in your favorite podcast app. Today, we're going to be talking about how we can make DevOps more friendly and accessible to people who are new, either to the community, to the concept, to the type of work. And joining me today is Laura Santamaria from LogDNA. Laura, can you uh, introduce yourself to our guests who maybe aren't familiar with you? Tell us a little bit about yourself and why we're talking about this today. Sure. So... As Maddie said, my name is Laura Santa Maria. I'm a developer advocate at LogDNA, and I come from a self-taught background. So I just really like talking about how to get people comfortable, how to bring people into the fold of how to do things, how a good culture might sound like. And my background is pretty checkered. I have a degree in science, and then I moved into teaching and education in a science museum. And then eventually wound my way into programming and development where I owned my first production system as a junior engineer. So I learned a lot and I like teaching other people about it. So 
it's just kind of a really favorite topic of mine to talk about how beginners can start to feel more comfortable. It's really uh, kind of on point for this show. And longtime listeners may remember that back in the heady days of 2013, when Trevor and I started the show, this was supposed to be a beginner podcast. Because at the time, when I when I was starting to learn about DevOps in the years leading up till then, I listened to a lot of podcasts to learn, and they weren't really very geared towards people who were new to it, which is, I realize, funny to say that it wasn't geared to people new to DevOps when this is like in 2011 and 2012, when DevOps was only a few years old. But I, I felt like I had to sort of force my uh, – be able to push through references and things that I didn't have context for. So I wanted to create a podcast – for people who were new to it. And the the line we always said was, this is for the people where your boss read about DevOps in the in-flight magazine and came to you and said, hey, we need some DevOps now. What what happened is over time, you know, we realized that that not, you know, we have an audience of all kinds of different backgrounds and experience with that. But it's still part of our part of our heart and soul of this show is to be welcoming and introduce this and, and help people who are just trying to get started. So I love that we're talking about this. I'm also amazed that hundred and something episodes in, it took us to do a show that's called making DevOps beginner friendly. So I guess we're not the most self-aware podcast that ever existed. But again, for longtime <laughs> listeners, you would never refer to us as being self-aware. Uh, so Laura, let's start with it. Like why, why is it hard to get started with this? I think this this really gets us started into uh, getting into the heart of the matter right away. Because to me, there's, there's so many things that causes DevOps to be a hard thing for people to get started in. So first things first, the definition of DevOps is really hard to actually nail down. You know, everyone keeps saying, oh, well, you can buy DevOps, right? No, you can't buy DevOps. It's not, it's a title now, yes, but it's not, something that you can just add to your organization and suddenly you have it. It's a cultural shift and there's a lot of other things to think about there. In addition though, to me, to get into this cultural world of being part of a DevOps team or part of a company that does DevOps in some shape or fashion, you need to have more history and it's like a chicken and an egg problem. So you have to have enough background to understand how this whole thing works, but you have to get the chance to get into the hardware and get into the experience of what it's like to not have it work, to be comfortable there. So there's just this weird dynamic of you need to have the experience and you need to have the history and you need to have the hardware and you need to have all of these things, but you need to get, part of this world before you can get the history, the experience, the hardware, the anything you can think of to understand the culture. So that's kind of how I see that it's really difficult to break in and feel comfortable. Context is a big part of this, right? And I think for for folks who have long history in whether it's an operations or kind of, or creating software, doing this and the the why this is better sometimes becomes a little more apparent because you've been in the shit right you know you've 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 seen how it's 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 hard right and so to a lot of folks then it's like well this is natural but if you're you're coming into it maybe you don't have that context 
it's it, what's interesting. I, I find that it could either be that there's not as much of an understanding about why to push through to do the hard things to make it better. And then likewise, I can also see with with not having that context, some of this just seems like common sense, right? Like it can also be like, wait, why is this a whole movement? Isn't this just, why wouldn't you do things that way? And then you don't have the, it becomes harder to be able to, to see how to affect that change. Absolutely. If this is the way you're used to it, right? Or this is your introduction to this kind of work. And I guess I'd say I'm one of the people who would have that kind of like, this is common sense because when I took over that first production instance and I was, it was my first job being an official developer, things like that. I found myself in a group. Well, the repo itself was built. The entire code base, the entire system was built by a team that was focused on DevOps. I didn't know anything different. And so for me, it was just, I came in and this is just how you do things. And it makes sense. Of course it makes sense. But I always notice that I forget that people don't see it as common sense. So when I walk into a new project or a new company and they tell me, oh, you know, well, dev does this and then we hand it to ops and then ops does this. And, you know, marketing's over here. Sales is over there. I sit there like, wait a minute, aren't you all supposed to work? together like that's kind of the point of this whole thing and then i forget that no that's not how we had been doing business for so long so just that experience in general is even more different if you want to talk about that kind of context yeah and i think that's too without without having that history there there's a reason that people have been working the way that they've been working it's not because they were dumb and right. nobody figured this right. out right this was older uh more traditional structures of engineering and operating systems and everything all arose to solve problems the way the world looked then. And that's, and I think that's where it can be, can be difficult because either it seems like this is just an obvious thing. And the only reason you'll get it is because you just can't figure it out and you're an old fuddy duddy or whatever kind of thing versus like, because when you're trying to affect change, you need to, to figure out how to, bring people along for that and you need to see where they're at and what their context is. And so many things historically seem like solved problems now. Right. Right. You know, um, I, I remember, you know, when I had my new hire orientation, when I joined PagerDuty and there were a lot of folks in my new hire class who were, you know, relatively new in their careers that were, you know, just, just starting out and they're kind of walking through the history of PagerDuty and explaining what the product initially being and just uh, for managing notifications and an on-call schedule. And I could see so many folks were like, how was this a problem? Like this, this, and I was, and, and for me sitting there having lived through it a decade before of spreadsheets and email aliases yeah. and manual things, I was like, I would have killed to have had this because things, but things were different then. Right. right. And it's, and, and, and now luckily those are solved problems, but not everyone's come along to that yet. So, so having that, that context, I think matters. Um, but then if somebody's beginning, they may be beginning their DevOps journey, but they also might not be new to, to, to software engineering or operations. So, so, uh, you know, someone new can either be somebody new to tech altogether 
can be somebody new to the workforce, can be somebody new to this practice. Uh, I think we've been talking a lot more about people who are either new to tech or new right. to the job force. But maybe if we think a little bit about some DevOps beginners are actually very senior and experienced technologists, but they are, from a DevOps perspective, they're new. And what what do you think might make it hard for Like, maybe think about why is it hard for them? Right. I, I was going to say that for me, the biggest thing that I find whenever I'm interacting with people who we would consider new, whatever their background is, is just helping them understand that you're allowed to ask questions. And I think especially with people who have you know, been around the block with being a software engineer, being on an ops team, and they've been in that, let's say, a waterfall model or even just that other culture, coming into this culture they don't feel like they remember how to ask questions. They don't feel like they understand that this is a safe place to just come and say, you know what? I don't understand why you're asking me to do this. I know I have all this background, but why are you asking me to do this piece? And I think there's a comfort level and a safety perspective almost that is really something that we have to work on maintaining whenever we introduce somebody to this world. And it's hard, right? This isn't an easy thing. There's entire industries dedicated to how do you set up conversations, right? With people who are new to something, been around the block a while, making that whole space available and interesting. And to me, this is one of the biggest things that I think, for example, DevOps days, when it's done well, this is what DevOps days does is it provides this space to feel comfortable and ask a question and say, I don't know what this means. And it helps introduce people who are the safe people to ask questions of because they're the ones who are getting up, proposing an open space, being there and being open to questions and pretty much saying, this is your time to ask me anything. And I think that's really what a good DevOps days does. And I think a lot of meetups are here too. But my biggest problem is how do I get them there so that they feel comfortable to show up? Then they realize they're starting to, it's okay to ask questions. They're starting to understand that once they get there, but reaching out to the rest of the community can be a little difficult sometimes. So. I think another thing to keep in mind is that for folks who have been around the block, so to speak, and, and spent decades working in technology, it's we've heard this all before is a lot of times how people feel. There's always something new and the new thing that's going to save the industry and do whatever. And it, it's very easy to become jaded towards that. And especially when you feel like the folks evangelizing it and shouting from the rooftops about it are not like you. And I it can mean that in a lot of different ways, but the way that comes to mind first is, and I think we've gotten better in the industry about this, but for a long time, and this was one of the biggest challenges was the advocates, the people who were doing this kind of work and were talking about it were all the digital darlings, right? Were all the cloud first, you know, again, it's the typical, you know, your Netflix, your Facebook, your whatever. And so how many times I can't tell you what I hear, that's great, but we're a bank. Yeah. And so I think one thing that helps is understanding. And the more that we all share our stories, the better identification can come. And that's the thing that's one of the most powerful things I think that happened for the whole movement was DevOps Enterprise Summit. 
mm-hmm. because before DevOps Enterprise Summit, there was a belief that DevOps in the enterprise was different. There was this very short-lived idea of enterprise DevOps. Um, there was, and the thing that was interesting is a lot of us in the community, we knew that this work was happening in the large enterprises, but nobody was talking about it because that was the way the culture around these organizations was, was you didn't get up on stage and you didn't write blogs and do things like that when you worked for a bank or an insurance company or a government entity and DevOps Enterprise Summit came along and all of a sudden, all these folks from these large enterprises and government organizations were getting up on stage and talking about what they did. And I think for a lot of folks who felt almost, you know, maybe they wouldn't put this in, in those words, but probably felt excluded or felt that it didn't apply to them, said, wait a minute. Oh, now now you're talking my language, right? Because I have a different problem than Uber does, but I have a similar problem that JP Morgan Chase does. Right. And so I think it's really powerful. I think sharing stories is because, and, and, and I think the stories need to be as broad as possible, right? Mm-hmm. Because everyone's going to identify differently. So when you can find that, and again, that's why to back to your point, one of the most powerful things in, in events like Dev, DevOps days are open spaces or at other events, birds of a feather when it's like, okay, great. I want to go talk to someone who's got a really similar use case or problem or environment so I can identify. And then the thing is, once you know something can be done, yeah, you're probably going to be able to do it. But if you don't know that it can be done, it can seem insurmountable. I think that there's a lot of ways that we as a community, I guess, anybody pretty much looking at DevOps as a culture and saying, this is our community. One way we can also make people feel more comfortable is going to them and saying, hey, there's options. Hey, I'd like to talk to you about where you're getting stuck. I want to offer my assistance, just you know, offer help in whatever shape or form. Um, one thing I can I can say is like, Going out and talking to random companies or even just putting myself out there on there's some different Slack communities. There's a Slack community I'm part of that I pretty much said, yeah, sure, I can answer a question about X or Y or Z. And I've had people ping me in DMs because they want to know, I'm stuck here. How did you do this? Have you done this before? Can you help me? And being able to model that experience and model how to do it. And model that helpfulness as well, I think, is really another way to make sure people understand that this isn't an exclusion and this isn't some type of snake oil. This isn't a miracle that's going to fix your organization because I'm never saying that I'm perfect, but I can at least help and I can help you get there. That's another piece where reaching out to those people that are maybe not completely comfortable reaching out on their own is a really great way to help make it more beginner friendly, too. There's there's just lots of different channels. I think that's the thing yeah. we have to remember. You have to, you have to you have to meet people where they are, right? And that's both in their in their context and in their where they are in their journey, but also just where they actually are. Right. Not everybody goes to conferences. Not everybody goes to meetups. Not everybody's on Twitter. And you're not going to find one place that's going to work to talk to everybody. And I think that's another way to help make make this thing more welcoming is to find the ways that people want to be communicated 
with. So, so we're talking a little bit about like how we can do this from a larger perspective. Uh, then if we kind of pivot a little bit and think about from within a team. So if you have a team that's already kind of working, like maybe you've got a team that's following great DevOps practices, you're being very successful. It's great. You bring in some new folks who maybe haven't done this work before, haven't been part of that. So, so what can a team do to help these folks follow these practices, like learn and adopt them? And not have them feel like they're less than because they haven't done it before. I think probably the biggest thing to me, again, is that safety, that awareness that there's a there's someone you can ask. So identifying people who have the patience, because not everybody does have the patience to help onboard someone new, right? Not everybody does have that patience. And you don't want to force someone who's not necessarily going to be great at it to try to pull it off on their own. But identifying those people who are, are going to be okay about answering the same question a few more times, answering all of that a few more times, but also to make them feel like they're part of the, the group and bringing them in and noticing those opportunities for, this is where I can help you understand how we do things. This is where I can help bring you into the culture of how we do DevOps. That kind of information as well as, like you said, meeting them where they are. If they do better with documentation versus talking to somebody and asking questions, maybe you set them up for success there with documentation and information and as much as you can share with them. In addition, you set them up with if they need the hardware to understand, like, oh, I can go have a sandbox where I can go learn the actual process part. Set them up with sandboxes. Make it something that they can go and play with and know they're not going to necessarily take something down that's important. So that any of those type of learning situations that we would do for anyone on a team, really, but explicitly do them for that cultural side as well. And to me, that's probably one of the biggest parts is just, again, showing people that they're welcome to come and learn and not not expecting them to know it all already, which I think is where a lot of teams kind of say, you're just going to figure it out as you go. Let's go do this. That's too intimidating to be honest. I mean, we're all human, right? It's really intimidating to join a new team and suddenly have to hit the ground running. We all talk about drinking from the fire hose and all of those lovely terms that we love to use, but it's still intimidating no matter how many times we say it. I think another thing to remember is that some, some of this way of working is going to inherently feel wrong to some Mm -hmm. folks because they haven't done that. And I think that's a thing to to acknowledge and be aware of and not turn it into, okay, well, this is either either A, B, you know, so I need to be, uh, when someone's uncomfortable, uh, encourage them to ask questions, but also encourage them to share why they're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of it may seem insecure to people. They may seem like you're compromising security. Oh my, how do we possibly give devs access to prod? This is wrong. This is not how we did it everywhere I've always worked. And what a lackadaisical company I must have just joined. And now I'm really scared and kind of giving that opportunity to surface it because also just because someone's been working differently, they may have some interesting insight too. Um, people coming in will ask questions about things or they will raise challenges about things that you might just accept and then realize and say, Oh, not saying we should go all waterfall and complete like, you know, wall of confusion here, but we never really thought about that. That's kind of a problem. Maybe. And or so you either can say, oh, you know what, that's a really good point, and here's how we address that. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't think to point that out. Or 
that's a really good point. We should actually think about that a little bit because maybe we missed that. Right. So I think it's I think we should always be open to how people that are new to the team can help contribute to make it better because they have a different perspective, even if inherently that perspective might feel a little polarized. Right. Um, so not being dogmatic about it. I mean, it's again, it's saying like, well, this is how we do things. That's great. So we're going to follow these approaches, but that doesn't mean we can't discuss yeah. them and dig into them and continually iterate and, and improve. Um, I think another piece of when you're bringing folks in is it's really important to, to look at opportunities, whether it's with pairing, whether, whether it's with shadowing, you know, rather than just sort of turning someone loose and saying, okay, here's the, here's our docs. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, that talks about all the ways we do it because so much stuff is undocumented knowledge, especially when it comes to styles of work and communication styles. Uh, one thing that I think is really important, um, I've done this on other teams, is we have we have kind of a shared document that's a living document that we review uh, a couple times a year, which is our rules of engagement. The, it's our how we work document. And it's not necessarily a whole bunch, you know, things about like, the cue for this type of work is in this JIRA board and whatever, but it's, here's how we communicate when we're on meetings together. Here's how we talk about problems together. Here's a, so it's a lot of that stuff you might call cultural things um, that have become the norms of the team Right. that really we feel when we're participating in them, we feel like they go without saying, but the only reason that happened is because we've been doing them and maybe we were there when they developed so just as, as it's just as important to document the technology and document your process, documenting your style uh, in so much, not in a dogmatic way, but just again, whether it's saying this is, this is our way of work for this mm-hmm. team and we review it regularly and adapt and iterate and improve. I think that is something that can be really helpful when someone's coming in and it's a different way of working. Another thing that I like adding on to that is, Having the first, having each new person spend time updating the docs, just essentially saying, you know, not only do I want you to start understanding how we work, the communication, all of that information of just what our team's style is and all of that. If there's something here that you're finding that someone is doing, add to this doc. We expect you to add to this doc because there is going to be that unknown knowledge that, that undocumented knowledge somewhere out there that needs to be added and it needs to come in. And I think that also gives people the sense of the team as well, because it lets them know that, yes, you're supposed to document this. And part of documenting it is also questioning how it works, because if you can't question it, how do you actually know enough to document it? How do you know enough to be able to build something out of nothing? And so to me, that's another component. It's like, I hate to do this. I, it's like joining an incident and sitting down and being the scribe for the incident because you don't know what's going on. And the very first thing you should do is go write down what's going on. So there's so much to look at there as well, just bringing that kind of idea in. And if you can explain that, I think it's one way to make it clear that this isn't set in stone. These are guardrails. These just kind of help us go down the road together. 
But if we need to repair the guardrails or change the direction that they're going, then let's do it. It's not worth it sitting there and just saying these are fixed forever if they're heading towards a cliff. That doesn't really work. So I have to agree with you on that point. And just that's how I have always thought about it, Eric, those guardrails going along next to the entire team. I think the thing I would caution, and I really do like the updating the documentation as you go and especially as you're as you're beginning, is is how that gets framed. Mm-hmm. Right. Because Absolutely. There maybe isn't, you know, it's it, you're you're not looking for success in that process by how much you updated. But I always like to think about it when you learn something, when you discover something, and it wasn't there, right? right? Uh, add, add to that, and 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 you're testing the documentation by following it along. But it's, I guess, the way I'd say it, it's it's unlikely that this would ever happen. But in the unlikely event that the docs cover everything then that's fine. You don't have to touch them. Right. Like, cause otherwise, but if you sort of set this expectation to say, well, your job is to update them. Right. Then I'm going to think that my criteria for success is I made changes. Right. And, and then maybe I'm going to feel like I have to introduce changes. I'm either going to feel unsuccessful because I didn't, or I'm going to look for changes that don't need to be made just so that I can say I did what you asked me to do. Absolutely. So it's, it's a little bit of like validate and update, mm-hmm. validate, confirm and update the documentation. So, um, yeah. and it's a really good test of that stuff to have someone, someone go through that and, and actually do the things. And I've, I found myself, it's another reason why. And then on the other side, besides just being incumbent upon new people joining, but it's why run books, even if you feel like, you know, this process super well, but you have a run book for it, you should actually follow the run book. I don't care if you're the one who wrote the run book, you should, you should pull it up and follow it because, um, that's how you'll be able to uh, know what's going on, right? And make sure that and validate that it's uh, that it's that it's working and that it's valuable, and that you didn't make it miss a step because of assumption, right? Or yeah. that you haven't changed something but forgot to update the doc, right? And I mean, so a little bit about my background. One of the jobs I've had is a technical writer, and one of the big things is you go through the docs every single time, go through and do auditing. Because the UI changes and you don't have it updated. You have this piece or that piece that hasn't gotten updated properly. So like you said, even if you've done this a thousand times, you never know if a step has slightly changed. Like the arrow is now on the left side of the button instead of the right side of the button. Make sure you check it every single time. And to me, that's also the same with bringing someone new on board. It's also a chance for the veterans of the team to validate the same schedule of books and information and all of that at the same time. So in general, I think that's all in there. Now, when we think about the larger community um, and our culture of, of the movement, if you will, if that's, if that's the way to espouse that or kind of encapsulate it, Mm -hmm. what, what makes it feel unwelcoming to people? There's a lot to unpack here, I think, and I'm going to speak based on my background because I think that's the place where I have the most uh, background to actually speak about it. In general, one of the things that I think can be intimidating is just like joining any new group, right? 
you don't know everyone. You don't, you don't have those connections yet. You don't know who's safe to talk to in terms of asking beginner questions versus who maybe it's a little too intimidating to go ask them something. And I think that that experience can, because, let me put it this way, because there is so much going on in our community, it's really difficult to understand where to go. And that can be an unwelcoming experience right there in general. I got lucky because I fell in with an entire meetup group and then ended up at DevOps Days Austin as a volunteer. And it's just kind of snowballed from there. But like I said, I got lucky because my company put me in the right position. My company at the time put me in the right position to be there. I don't think everybody else gets that chance. So the onboarding experience just to the community is just as difficult as the onboarding experience to a new team, except you don't have the given of we're all at least in the same email database, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> or, or, or Slack or Teams or whatever you're using, right? Um, so without that, like, I'll give you an example. I didn't know about Hangout Slack for like three years. No one told me because I didn't know and I didn't know to go look for it. I had no idea there was a community Slack for DevOps. And I found it and I'm like, wow, where were all these people when I was trying to figure this thing out? Like kind of like shit, throw the table, you know. Ah. But by then I already knew enough people that they told me where to go. And I just started joining the channels they were in and then branched out. And that's kind of how it works, I guess. So I'd say that's probably one thing. And then for those of you with experience, and I say this in the most loving way possible, it can be sometimes really intimidating to talk to all of you with all your war stories and be like, I don't have those, sorry. Am I allowed to share my information now? <laughs> It, it can be. It can be just something intimidating, but I don't want to stop people from doing it, though, because I learn a ton from war stories. But at the same time, how can we, as a community, make it clear that even if you don't have war stories, you're still allowed to be here? I think that's a really good point, because we tend to default to those experience stories, and because it's very freeing to be able to share them. But And sometimes people do use that as a way of proving credibility, right? And then, then I can feel like, well, I don't have that, so I don't have credibility. Uh, so thinking about how you can share your experience, but in the way of, oh my goodness, thank goodness this isn't true anymore, right? right? Not like, oh, you sweet summer child, you have no idea how things <laughs> used to be, right? But more like, I'll give you some context and... But then, but then also maybe invite a little bit of, okay, but what still sucks? Yeah. So the thing is, so, so Laura, you're telling me, you said, I don't have war stories. Oh, you do. They're, I know right? I do now. And they're about the DevOps, right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, at the time when I first joined, it was like, I'm kind of sitting there listening to all these people with so much more experience than me. And it was just like, I'll just sit back here in my corner. But little did I know that I had all of this wealth of experience that I could share. And I mean, this is the other thing that I've been telling a lot of the new folks, at least here in Austin, is some of my war stories 
don't come from me being in DevOps because part of the experience of what the DevOps culture is, is about communication. And I can tell you so many stories from my history about communication that aren't even funny anymore. Well, they're funny now, but at the time they definitely were not all that funny. So I guess to me, there's that one of the things that we like to do in general with people is to build a community, you share an experience, you share and you try to say, I have something in common with you here. Let's go talk about it. But when people don't understand that you don't have to be a dev or an ops person to have that experience that you can then plug in and share when they don't understand that they don't feel like they can be part of the community. And to quote kind of, well, semi quote, one of the famous DevOps books about the Phoenix project, right? It's not necessarily that it's only about dev and ops. There's security, but even if you go outside of the quote unquote technical people to go to talk to marketing, support, sales, all of these people all have the same stories and we all can be part of the same discussion and we can learn from each other. They don't have to have stayed up till 3 a.m. working on a production server that decided to go sideways and your customers are screaming at you over the phone. And by the way, that's probably support dealing with the customers screaming at you and all of those things, right? Like you don't have to have that experience of being glued to a computer screen while your manager is right behind you breathing down your neck while you're trying to understand what just happened. You can still also be that person that the next morning had to deal with a boatload of emails that came overnight from all of your partners that are saying, hey, this thing didn't work last night. Why not? They're still part of the conversation. And I think that's one of the places where we can build ourselves as a community is to just say, let's all be part of this together because how else can we move forward? And I think there's an interesting thing that can happen. And I, I'm going to tread lightly with this because it, it might be a little controversial, but like you said, shared experience is a thing. So I think you can have a broad space. Um, but I think it's also really powerful to sometimes have, those the ability in a ephemeral way to sometimes be able to share that 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 scar tissue that shared experience and i think that's where like things like open spaces and bofs and stuff really are fine right because you're like okay you don't have to have like this whole experience to be able to come to devops days again for example but somebody can totally propose an open space which is you know AS 400 admin war stories, you know, and right. cool. And so for that, in that moment, you can say, but, but you're also identifying that that's what that shared experience is going to be about. And you right. don't have to. So yeah, you maybe will want to have had that experience to participate in that 30 minute conversation that's happening, but it's not about the whole conversation of the movement and of making things better in our community, but you get a chance to be able to identify to that. Right. So I think we want to be inclusive, but part of that is also still giving the ability. I, I, I've been struggling with the right way to say this is to have some exclusivity. Right. Um, and it's not about keeping people out. It's just sort of about, about having a moment and having a space to be able to share that particular experience, but it's not uh, admit it's not a required admission to the bigger right. conversation. I, I look at that as, 
there's this term that we used to use back when I was working in the university systems called communities of practice. And this is back when I was doing research and things like that. We talked about having communities of practice because it's, it's not saying that you're necessarily excluding people and saying that they're not allowed to attend. They're not allowed to show up, but they're not allowed to come learn from you. And personally, like if there's somebody who wants to talk about something really, really specific, I kind of want to go sit and learn from them because they probably have something in in their talk that I'm going to glean. And if I can abstract it, it can help me somewhere else. I'm not going to say I have their same shared experiences, but I definitely do have something that I can learn from them. But a good setup for a communities of practice scenario is essentially kind of like an open space and it's kind of like birds of a feather. And all of these things that have made unconferences successful is this experience of we need to be able to say, I've had this experience. I don't know what to do with it. Come help me. Or I've had this experience. Come learn from me. And that to me, what a really good community of practice can be. And that I think that still has a space in in DevOps days and DevOps in general, we should still have those, but we should be aware also of the wider context that we live in. I mean, it's the world as we know it, I guess. I absolutely agree. I think one last thing I want to think about um, that's a little more tactical and a little less and uh, is when we think about sharing practices and, and how we, especially, and this is going to be kind of a tool-ish kind of bent, but when I look at, there's a lot to learn when you're getting involved in DevOps, right? Right. Oh, yeah. And it can seem really intimidating, right? Because it's just a broad amount of tool. There is a lot of technology involved in DevOps. Tools is part of it, right? And that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that a lot of times when we create tools and do things, we we're like, we're going to throw up some API documentation and kind of throw that out there and then you'll figure it out. And I think, I think thinking about ways to understand that people who are trying to come into this might be coming from where part of what the story needs to be is why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Why does Kubernetes matter rather than just, okay, now go run these commands and look, and now you have a cluster. Right. Why did I want to cluster in the first place? And not saying, well, point to a blog that says that, but make that part of the entire story. When I'm going through a tutorial, so what I'm saying is if you're building tutorials, make them journeys, right? So it's not like, okay, cool. So I wrote this automation and now I have an S3 bucket. Why did I need an S3 bucket? So what's the story, right? And, you know, say, okay, the problem you're trying to solve is X. And here's how you do it with, with this tool. And you're like, oh, okay, I can recognize and I can empathize and I can identify with that problem. Right. So now it makes some sense to me. But when it's, but we tend to write tutorials that are, here's the thing to do to make this outcome, to make this, this or make a thing happen. But, yeah. but what's the larger thing? So I think that's a big thing to think about um, when we're, when we're building uh, ways to, to bring people to help them learn is is we keep because goes back to context, right? Where does right. this fit into the big smushy world of yeah. your life? Yeah, the the ability to zoom in and out is probably the biggest thing about DevOps to me. That ability to just understand how the world itself is put together, and then zoom down into a piece and work on it, then zoom back out. Because I mean, 
we can't talk about the entire pipeline of the world and, uh, you know, taking a look at DevOps and shifting left and all the lovely jargon that we have everywhere, right? You can't do that unless you can zoom out to look at all of it and then be able to zoom in to look at one small piece. Like you have to be able to have that uh, dichotomy of vision, I guess you could say, of just being able to zoom in, zoom out. It's like having a, a camera with a really, really good lens and you wish that you had it. And so you could zoom in on like, you know, the butterfly on the flower, but able to zoom out to catch everybody in the picture. Uh, I think that's probably the most important part. And I think that's a pretty good way to wrap us up there. With <laughs> DevOps is about zooming in and zooming out. You heard it here first. <laughs> so, uh, Normally, this is the time of the show when we talk about all the great conferences you can go to and everything, but, you know, kind of topically, things are shifting, but that doesn't mean that there aren't places uh, where we can catch up with each other in a social distancing kind of way. So, so Laura, where, where can our listeners catch up, catch up with you and see what's going on and, and, and interact in a very safe, non, you know, pandemic way? (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. As long as we don't do and, that. And, right. I'm definitely going to be virtual at Spring Live. It's a online virtual 24-hour conference. Spring Live is happening March 19th, I think. But keep an eye out there on Twitter. Um, I mostly will be saying where I'm going to be on Twitter. And I know that's not necessarily everybody's jam. So if you don't know how to reach out to me there, you can also... Uh, keep an eye or send a contact info, I guess, to log DNA. That might be another way to reach me, I guess. But if you look for me on Twitter, I'm at Nimbinatus on Twitter. And hopefully we'll be able to actually spell that in the show notes. Or There'll be a link there. to your Twitter in the there show notes. There we go. Otherwise I have to spell it yeah. over here and that would be lots of fun. But you can keep an eye out for me there and that I'll be posting where else I'll be on the internets. But I also do this thing called a minute on the mic. So you can come watch the videos. They're going to be posted up to YouTube. So just look on Twitter at, at hashtag a minute on the mic or go to adminuteonthemic.com. There's also a YouTube channel. It'll be lots of fun, but mainly I get a bunch of other people to answer a question in a minute and it's really very entertaining. So that's the best places you can find me right now. Uh, awesome. Yeah. My, uh, upcoming conference, uh, is 100% virtual and it's failover conf. I will be one of the speakers at failover conf, uh, which is happening on April 21st. Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes, but if you go to failover-conf.haysummit.com, you can register. You, the CFP may still be open at the time that we're publishing this episode. So if you had a talk canceled and you want to be able to have an opportunity to share that with people in a, in a virtual way, failover conf might be, uh, great for you. So, um, head on over to arresteddevops.com slash beginner friendly devops for this episode's show notes where we'll have links to these things we've just been talking about, as well as you can find Laura's Twitter there. And if you go to arresteddevops.com slash iTunes and leave us a review in the iTunes store, that actually does help people um, find the podcast, apparently. And, you know, you never know, we may may read it on the show for you. And we also are apparently on Spotify and iHeartRadio if those are your jams. So, Laura, thank you so much for being part of the show today. Uh, it was a great conversation. And um, I'm really, really pleased we got to talk. 
Yeah, thanks for giving me the space to talk about this because it's always something on my mind. And I'm so happy that both you and I were just like, this is the best topic ever. Let's go talk about it. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. I'm Matt at Matt Stratton. This is Arrested DevOps. And remember, there's always DevOps in the banana stand.